Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode seven, lucky number seven of the Inside Events Podcast by SwapCard, event app and matchmaking powered by AI. It's the smartest event management platform. And our, our first guest today will share with us why our show today is on using AI to personalize events. And we have with us Vincent Curta from SwapCard. Hi, Vincent. Hello. How are you? Good. So our topic is AI. For those listening who don't know, artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence applies machine learning, deep learning, and other techniques to solve actual problems. And you can find our show on Twitter at the event profs. If you want to look back to any previous episodes, links are there. If you want to give us any feedback or any of that good stuff, that is the place to go. I'm going to give Vincent's bio here. He is the lead data scientist at SwapCard with the company for two and a half years now. He graduated with a bachelor in modern, mostly French literature. I got my bachelor's in English, so here we are. (laughs) Before studying computer science in college and going to Epitech for engineering, he also has a master's degree in computational intelligence from the University of Kent in Canterbury. He started working for SwapCard immediately after that and is currently in charge of all things data machine learning at SwapCard, mainly recommender systems and BI. BI is business intelligence, right? Yes. Just, you know, you never know. The acronym, you know, alphabet soup. Um, I think we take things for granted sometimes and um, and then you just never know what people know and, and, and don't, especially because I think our listeners of the show are, they're of a wide variety of backgrounds and, and the jobs that they do. So, um, and I hate also to, you know, there's can be a fear of tech sometimes. And so I like to, to make things as easy to understand as possible. Okay, so we're gonna start this show today talking some news little bit of tech involved. The first thing is I thought really, it was interesting that Marriott is taking on Airbnb. Um, not not completely taking on because they've only got like 5,000 properties that they're offering, but they have a new homes and villas program. And I thought it was really interesting. I found the article on CNN. You know, I always cruise through all of our event industry um, programs or, uh, you know, websites and what everything that's that's going on and uh and uh, and this was a cnn article which i thought was was really interesting and the reason i i kind of obviously it's event related but like i know myself i have booked airbnb instead of a show's offering for housing because you can it's easier to share it's less expensive so and she the the ceo said she said this is part of the whole sharing economy bikes and scooters and homes <laughs> so uh so you know so basically the article is that you know talks about how airbnb has served to disrupt the housing industry and in, um, in in general but also within our industry um so this is a way for marriott to try to compete with that or is it i mean do you think big brand hotels can compete with this this tech or is it smart for them to head down that that path? 
I think it's think? pretty smart if they can get their hands on the properties that are interesting to their customer base. Yeah, I think it's pretty smart. In terms of uh, tech, I think it's not that hard a task to handle for them, uh, especially if they can hire like a good, I, I'm not sure that Marriott is, uh, has a developer's team working on this, right? I'd probably hire some contractor. Right. And um, if they have a good contractor, yeah, the, the learning or the algorithm behind this type of uh, work is, I think, not the hardest for them. What they, but this will definitely like be a market share that they can go into, especially since Airbnbs, you know, you don't always get like um, high-end homes when you book them. You know, you can get right. really nice places or you can get cheaper places. Marriott's, they have their own brand. It's really high-end. So yeah, I think it's quite, it's not, a, it's a really smart move from them, I believe. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and and they're vetting every property on like, Airbnb doesn't vet. I mean, if you, you put it up, you put it up. Yeah, there's two-way reviews and in that way, um, Airbnb is less of a risk than like using a booking.com or something like that. But this is, they, they need these properties, these villas, these homes, a castle, you know, in, in Scotland to be um, on brand. Um, the thing that struck me the most too was that her kind of hook was, oh, well, you can use your points. So yes, we think that she doesn't think this is going to affect their, their main business at all. She thinks this is going to be a supplement to, you know, um, to what they're doing. Cause actually some of the places where they have these villas and stuff are where they don't already have hotels. So that gives them an entrance into that market. And it, and really she's saying, you're doing all this travel for work and staying in all our properties. Why not use your points on your vacation to stay uh, in a uh, castle in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I believe like they said, I read the article and they said, um, about 30% of their um, customers also booked an Airbnb sometime in 2018. So that would mean that for them, it's a huge, like it's 30% of the customers could have gone to their uh, own house and villa villas instead of Airbnbs. So if they start offering this, they're not losing any, they're not losing any uh, um, business. They're just right. getting more. There's no, there's no, I mean, obviously the operational costs, but uh, right. there's not a huge amount of losses I think they're going to take to there. Yeah. I, um, and I, and I think maybe for like famous people and that kind of stuff, like this would be a, a route they might prefer versus Airbnb or VRBO um, because you don't really know um, what you're getting until you get there. Pictures can be close, but not always. Um, all right. So I think that's a pretty cool um, disruption. And I personally love that the CEO of Marriott's a woman. <laughs> that, that, that for me was part of the article. I was like, I love this. This is amazing. Okay, so the next article I wanted to talk about is 5G, what planners need to know to be ready. This was a meetings net article that uh, they posted. It was basically a recap of a session from PCMA um, where Will Curran and Brant Kruger presented on 5G. Um, this is a, a big a tech thing, I think, that's really going to affect events and how um, the quality of not just uh, streaming and that kind of thing that happens at conferences now, um, but will help, I think, have a better experience for our attendees um, when in using apps. So, um, but it's 
there, but not quite there yet. So I'm going to read a quote and then we'll, we'll chat about this. The emerging 5G cellular standard will significantly change how content is delivered and consumed at conferences, but planners must address technical and logistical considerations to optimize the ocean of bandwidth that will soon be at their disposal. Oh, I'm curious because I think it's probably different in Europe than in the U.S. Vincent, what um, do you have 5G there yet? Um, and kind of what's the? I think in larger cities, yes, larger cities okay. in Paris, there will be. I think 5G is already deploying, and they're starting to get a lot of ads everywhere for uh, for the new services. But it's not quite there yet either. I mean, in my town, I'm not in Paris. In my town, there's no uh, 5G yet for sure. And anyway, most of the devices are not compatible. Right. So that's the one thing, right? The, the, the devices that people have in their hands have to be compatible. But also, um, they're building new towers, right? So it's, it's not like, it, they're not just piggybacking. Like 4G piggybacked on 3G, but I think this is a totally different ballgame, right? It's a totally different level of, of tech. Yeah, I believe it's, uh, there's a few differences. I'm not, I'm not too aware of the tech behind it, but uh, okay. yeah, there's a... I think there's a lot of differences between 4G and 5G, and uh, not only the speeds, but uh, yeah, the bandwidth as well is going to be. Right, and Brant actually said um, the carriers do not all work in the same frequencies for their 5G delivery either, which makes a difference in how well each carrier signal travels across distances and through walls. The key thing to remember is that you trade range for speed, which is that's a factor in a convention space right in a comp or in a conference center where you know you might have a different experience in one room than in another maybe between the keynote and the breakouts and that kind of thing so but i think it will become a point where you don't have a choice really right i mean if if the if the venue is using 5g or is it not is that not a, a factor I mean, yeah, I think uh, the big advantage of 5G is currently when you go to an event, it's either 4G, which is really swarmed by all the people using it, or it's Wi-Fi, which has exactly the same problem. Usually there's like only so many connections that a broadband can support, even for huge events and, uh, and I mean, huge venues. And uh, yeah, 5G should hopefully address both of these problems, but... Uh, the issue with the the issue with these types of technologies, right, is that we're always going to use them to the maximum as soon as we can, like as as much as we can, right? As uh, as the five G technology is going to be more common, and everyone's going to start having devices that can do five G. People are going to go on the internet and download content that's heavier because they have access to this extra speed, and so. Everyone will start doing this, and we might start getting the same effects as 4G, uh, the effects we have currently with 4G, which is, well, since everyone is using as as much as they can, we get a slowdown for everyone. Right. Yeah, especially with streaming and, and live um, that live broadcast. I attend a big social media conference um, here in San Diego each year, and it is forbidden to live stream. Um, for for several reasons, but mostly because you can imagine four thousand social media marketers yeah. all in one place, right? Like this, we're already it's such a heavy hit on all the data and the Wi-Fi, where it's like, yeah, add live streaming to that, and it's like, um, we could really take the whole system down. So that, but that brings to mind this five G. 
Wi-Fi and data are different, right? Will the 5G yes. affect the Wi-Fi side or not? I mean, maybe. It, it's hard okay. to say. Uh, the, the thing is, I think Wi-Fi is, or basically Wi-Fi and 5G, 5G is not that different. It's still both uh, electromagnetic waves, right? But Wi-Fi is using a broadband connection, so it's connecting to your modem that's in your house, in the venue you're at. And then 5G is connecting to, is the modem is in your phone, and then it will connect to the towers directly. Right? So this is the difference. Gotcha. Now, okay. they, will, they eventually suffer from the same problems, as in uh, there's only so many connections you can. Right. All right. So, um, and then there's a endless events made a bandwidth cal calculator, which I think is pretty cool. So, um, and I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And then there's a couple sub articles to this. If anybody wants to know more, um, there's a New York Times article, um, I think, which is really informative. And then Trade Show Internet is a company in the, our industry that provides an alternative to internet versus using in-house. And um, they put out an article in the fall about um, the advent of 5G and what it means for events. So I'll include links to both of those. All right, so I, that's it for news for today. It's been kind of news light um, after the holidays and everything in the new year. Um, our topic today is using AI to personalize events. And our guest today is Stefan Forsay. He's head of technology and digital transformation with Easy Fairs. And here we are with our very special guest today, Stefan Forsay. Hello, Stefan. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. So uh, I do want to say uh, AI obviously allows for personalization. So if you would like to find out more about event personalization with your data, you can download SwapCard's free ebook, The 2020 Guide to Event Personalization. Um, you'll find that link in our show notes for the episode. Okay, Stefan, I'm going to give your, your bio here, your glowing... It's not too. It's not too long. Stefan is head of technology and digital transformation with Easy Fares. Um, he is excited by everything digital and by how tomorrow will be better because of tech and science. While he spent ten years in the telecom and internet industry, he has spent the last fifteen years in the exhibitions industry. Stefan enjoys helping organizations rise to the next level by using technology as a stepping stone. He specializes in change management, digital strategy, IT strategy, and team development. He loves sharing his passion for digital. If you need someone to speak on digital transformation, innovation, and customer centricity, he is your man. I love that term, customer centricity. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that we live in, a, in an era where everything is centered around what we want. And, and especially if we look at the exhibition industry, we very far from the level of customer centricity that industries like retail manage to offer. Um, this is why I'm so passionate about bringing more customer centricity and, and more thinking about, I, I call it thinking inside out instead of outside in. We're still thinking outside in what, we, what do we want to achieve as organizations, not what our um, attendees want to achieve uh, when, when they participate to our events. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've been, I've been actually talking a lot and thinking a lot about customer experience as of late and um, in that, so I just, I just love that. Okay, so I would love to start with you telling us about Easy Fares, uh, your tagline, I, 
fantastic. A journey into the future of events, hashtag visit the future. Tell us about Easy Fares and what you all um, are up to. So yeah, Easy Fares is not a very old company. We, we created the company 15 years ago. Um, and uh, the goal of Easy Fares is to show people a vision of their future. So, so both in terms of experience and in terms of content, we always try to show people what the future will look like because we think that one of the main reasons why you visit trade shows and events is to see what's coming up, is to be ahead of the game. Um, and we know that things are always moving faster than we expect. People tend to say that, well, I think it's, it was even Bill Gates saying that we, we tend to overestimate the change that's coming in the next 12 months, but you always underestimate the change that's coming in the next 10 years. Um, that, that's a little bit the goal of, of Visit the Future. Love that. Fantastic. All right. So let's just start out so that, I mean, the, the name of the show is using AI, AI to personalize events. So can you tell our, our listeners and viewers how Easy Fares is using AI? Well, we use AI in different ways and we have a lot of, of projects also going on with that. One of the, the things we're doing, for example, is um, using AI to try to predict if people are going to visit the show or not. It's what we call the no-show oh, okay. prediction because you know that, especially in B2B, not everyone who registers to the show will actually visit the show. So this is one example of the things we, try, we are doing with AI. So we have a pretty good um, rate of predicting if people are actually going to come to the show. And, and when we see that they're not going to come to the show, we try to offer them different things or put them on a different um, journey or try to see why they will not come to the show. So another advantage of AI is that whenever you make predictions using AI or you try to, to measure something, you can, you can find out why. What are the main things that influence the decision, decision of people? So this is an example of, of using AI to try to make people's life better and while at the same time increasing the conversion towards our event. Fantastic. So Vincent, you're a data scientist. Um, how how um, are you and Swapcard using data to personalize events? So um, the way we do this is first off, we try to gather a lot of as much data as possible about attendees. Uh, and this is typically done through uh, ticketing systems. So you go to your ticketing systems, you ask questions to your attendees about what they're going to do at the event, what they want to see, and uh, yeah, their skills and their keywords kind of. And then we use we you use all this data in a, we build well we have different systems that we can use uh, right now we build a what we call recommender systems so the the goal of this is to predict to try to predict well, where people want to go which uh, conference they want to attend who they want to meet uh, which product they're going to be most interested in this type of of, uh, of items and then to tailor the app. Uh, for, for the attendees, per attendee. Okay, so it's not just for clarification for I think everyone listening and for myself. Um, they don't have to have registered for your the particular event that you're using your app for. You have data from prior events that they've attended? Yeah, yes, that? we have okay. basically any, any event that has been attended through Swapcard because okay. Swapcard has obviously a lot of apps uh, white label apps that are uh, out there. So any event that's been attended through a Swapcard app will be taken into account when someone visits a new event. However, if there's a they're new attendee that have never used the app, then we will uh, try to match them with whatever uh, 
group of people we think they're closest to and then use this type of data to infer what they want. Gotcha. But then we obviously uh, change these predictions as they use the app and they visit the events. Okay, so, and then that relates to the matchmaking piece, right? Yes. Can you talk the, a little bit so about that? Matchmaking is um, what we call our recommender system. So basically oh, okay. it's the matchmaking is going to be user to user recommendation. So instead of recommending any type of item, the matchmaking is focused on recommending other users that are at the event. So if you're, I don't know, an investor looking for, looking to invest, then we're going to recommend you startups, startup founders typically. Gotcha. I think that's really important. Uh, I know as, um, as someone who has exhibited many times with my clients um, and been an attendee um, as, you know, sometimes as a buyer, but not always, um, I think that helping me figure out who, who I should meet um, and what, what companies are a match for what I'm looking for um, is pretty valuable because I do, I do spend a lot of time. Um, most recently in the last year, I planned trade show participation for two of my clients, or actually for one client for two different shows. And um, I spent a lot of time mining the app myself for who I thought would be a good fit. Um, and so I think I, I, I'm just curious why, Stefan, what do you think about why more companies aren't doing this? Why they're not using AI and this kind of technology to their advantage? Well, <clears throat> I do discuss with a lot of other CTOs and CIOs of, of trade show organizers because besides my work for EasyFest, I also do quite a lot of, of presentation and, and, and conferences, etc. And the, I would say the main problem that we as trade show organizers have, uh, the main hurdle for us to be able to effectively use AI is that a lot of the data um, in our organization is still in silos. It's, it's very difficult to concentrate all of the necessary data. And if you look at something like matchmaking, what, what Vincent was explaining, um, imagine if you can do the matchmaking like, like swap cards, which is for me already a huge step forward, but you can also include a lot of other data. For example, not just the data coming from the registration, but also what people have done on your website uh, in the time coming up to the show. Uh, what they've done the previous years uh, in terms of location-based data that you have been able to, to collect during the show, then you can enrich everything. Uh, but it's still very difficult for, for organizers to put all of this data together in a meaningful way. I would say that th that's the main problem at the moment. Okay. And does GDPR have anything to do with that or no? Because the data that they've already entered, they've already given permission? Well, not really. Uh, it, it's not a I don't think it's a big problem because a lot of the data you work with, uh, you work with it in an anonymous way. Uh, the, the biggest part of the work when, when you do AI, and, and Vincent can explain that probably much better than me, yeah. is actually training your algorithms. Uh, okay. Your machine learning system, they have to be trained with a lot of data, and then you have to take all of the data, data from, from your previous events, etc. but you can do it in a completely um, anonymous way. So it's, GDPR is not really a problem. It's more of a technical problem of getting all of this data in a, in a data lake together. Okay. Uh, I can, uh, yeah, I go agree. ahead. Please. And uh, I was going to say, like, in our databases, for example, like all the, uh, what we call the uh, matching databases or the uh, machine learning databases that we have, we have absolutely no way of identifying anyone uh, or any data that we have there except for numbers. So it's just like, oh, you're user one, user two, user three, but uh, we don't know who is who and uh, we cannot even, I mean, we could maybe probably guess, but it would be a really hard task and really not worth our time anyway. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's good to know. 
Um, cause I think that's important for people to hear when they, cause they, we've sort of let go a little bit of the, you know, assumption that we, uh, I don't know. I, I just have given up my private, whatever, <laughs> like everything. I just feel like anything I enter on the internet is fair game. Um, and, um, and I'm fine with that, but not everybody is. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of, of giving away data and, and, and GDPR, if you provide a real value to the customers, they're okay to give the data if they understand what you do with them and, and if, they, if they understand the value they get out of it. Uh, and you have to be very open and very respectful of the data of your, of your customers. Um, it's, not, it's not really a problem. Uh, we don't have a lot of people saying, for example, right to be forgotten and, and completely erased. We have very few requests. Um, and I think if you treat people's privacy in a, in a good way, you will not have problems with that. Of course, you have to respect the law, and the law is very strict about it. But we see that it's it's much less of a, of a problem in terms of not giving us the capacity to do what we want with the data than we we expect expected it would be. That's a great point. I like that. Okay, so I'm on. I'm a question for both of you, and I'll start with Vincent. Um, what and these questions are always hard. I'm, I'm not asking to be the oracle or anything, but what what do you think is the future? Of AI, like have we just scratched the surface of its capabilities? Um, so yes, I think that we're not very far along uh, the AI research. But then again, the AI research started quite a long way back, and uh, it was in a terrible drought uh, during the '90s, for example. So I, even though we're not really like we're really far from having seen everything, I don't think. Um, I think it's going to take a while, at least, before we start seeing anything more than what we have now, which is just mostly prediction machines and um, statistical inference most of the time. Okay. So I'm going to say yes, but we're not close to we're not close to the end at all, for sure. And so, what is there anything that you uh, have thought about that you you would like to be able to do? Uh, uh, yes, it? train uh, with it or to do myself. So, uh, with AI, there's lots of things that we would like to do. Uh, basically, uh, things that are go from relatively simple, provided we have the data. So something like, uh, oh, planning the journey of an absentee in an event, that would be something really useful. And uh, then, you obviously, you can change what you want. And like, say, oh, no, I don't really want to go to this conference. But the like, planning most of your day ahead of time would be great. and it's. I think it's with the right amount of data, we could do it. But uh, what I would like personally to do is to have models that train, like, I mean, machine learning models. So technology behind the AI, training really fast on much less data, because then we would be able to uh, do this type of prediction in a much faster way and with, uh, like, the attendees not using the app as much. Okay. That would be awesome. So, so like, if you you would be able to potentially tell me what sessions to go to based on what you think I want to learn about. Is that one of the, did I, am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Yes. But okay. we would, we would already like to do this and think we could do it if we had the data. But what I'm saying is like, I would like for this to be really fast. So if I have a new person in the app, then after, I don't know, they use the app for an hour, I can already say, Oh, okay. Then what you're really interested in, is this 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 and then i can just simply i don't have to learn a lot of things from the data i don't have to have as much data to learn about what people want all right awesome 
What do you think, Stefan? Have we just scratched the surface? What's the future? What's the yes, new? so, so <laughs> the, yeah, three points. The first one is that indeed, I totally agree with what Vincent said. Problem is not the algorithms themselves, it's getting the data in a useful way. That's, that's super hard. Um, second point is that, yes, true as well, what Vincent just said, the, uh, artificial intelligence is here since a long time. Um, I'm not that young anymore, and I used to play with, with neural networks when I was at university in the early 90s. It was already existing. It was just that we didn't have the horsepower uh, on computers to run it um, at the time, and we didn't have the data available. The third thing is that I see so many cool projects using artificial intelligence. I was speaking about what we do. We have obviously incredible matchmaking applications coming up, things that would be like recommendation engines when you come to the show, or maybe you should choose these people, these people, these people, optimizing the return on investment, like, okay, you saw these people on the show, but maybe you have missed those one, you know, a little bit like Amazon or Netflix are doing. Um, and then you have application that would make people's life much easier uh, and our staff life much easier. If you look at what Freeman is doing, for example, they've modified uh, Amazon Alexa to serve as um, either online chatbots or even on-site. You can talk to an assistant, a virtual assistant on-site and ask them information about the show. Uh, that's already existing. That's already projects that you can see on shows. So, so uh, I see so many applications. And, and I think in the next five to 10 years, AI will permeate every aspect of the technology we use at the trade shows. That's awesome. Giving um, some job security to people like Vincent, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yeah, data scientist. <laughs> no question. Um, yeah. Just, just, yeah, when we, sorry to interrupt you, but when no, we're no, speaking about, about what are the main problems for yeah. trade show organizers in deploying AI, I said, yeah, getting the data together, but actually getting people like Vincent in our team is super hard as well because there's really a war for talents for these, these data scientists and data engineers at the moment. Well, and I'm a huge fan of what comes out of what you guys do, but there's no way I could personally be the, um, I'm, on, I'm, a, I'm a word nerd. So yeah, it's, um, it's a very specific yeah. area of training and we find it quite hard to make people transition for other areas of technology to data science, it, it's more of a mathem. Well, Vincent, you can correct me, but I think it's more about mathematics than, than actual computers. Yes, there's a. Well, the thing is, uh, if you're like when I got on SwapCard, so I was where I was out of the university. Basically, it was the uh, it's my first job, and a lot of the university stuff that we do is math. Uh, when you do data science, because uh, there's a lot of not extremely complex math, but there's a lot of math involved in building these algorithms and understanding them. But then when you get into a company and you're the only person who's working on this type of project, you also have to do all the engineering side as well. So you have to uh, design uh, the architecture of the system. You have to build the databases, unless you're using, obviously, the, uh, uh, how do you say, keen hand uh, systems from Amazon or uh, Google. But even then, you still have to do a lot of pipelining and this type of thing that are really hard to do. And getting, I think getting someone who can do both currently is really difficult. Yeah, it's very hard. Well, and kind of along the, on maybe similar lines, maybe not, I think with, with chatbots and that, that technology is um, there's the tech and then there's the human side, right? Somebody has to actually write the words in a way that, people are going to be asking the, 
the questions or or, or write the responses um, to that. But that I mean, chatbots are are they AI or are they? Depends yeah. on the chatbot. I don't want to open up a can of worms. No, um, you, yeah, you have a lot of, especially uh, online chatbots where you're typing things that are not AI at all. They are just trying to guess in a, in a very, not very intelligent way what you want. But okay. if you look at things like like um, uh, Google Home or, or Amazon Alexa, they really use AI and and. They, there's no way that someone has typed in all the way that you can ask a question to these chatbots. Then just by association and by training, uh, they, 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 those chatbots and things like Siri and Alexa, they're already much better than humans at understanding human speech. And, and when Freeman places these Alexas on trade shows, it's very noisy environments and, and there's a lot of things going around. And even then, they have no problem picking up what people want and then to give really meaningful in information most of the time. So, so yes, it, there are chatbots that actually really use AI and works very well. Yes. And I was going to add, there's been a lot of recent developments in, um, in uh, the text to like um, understanding and generation of text from, I think it's GPT-2. Is it from Google? I don't remember. But some research teams, at least from a large company, did a really interesting uh release oh no it was open ai it was open ai and it's uh basically a, a system that will continue a story so you type uh some words in and then the system will generate some text that matches your whatever you typed and this type of text generation can be extremely powerful for chatbots in the future i think probably going to see some application quite soon uh or already is but the, yeah, the text to understanding the text. Now I think we have it ninety percent down, and now the generation of answers is going to be going that way quite soon as well. I think. Yes, if you look at companies like Conversica, for example, they're providing AI-powered sales assistance to you, and so they engage in in a, in a in a discussion with your customers over email. And they really adapt to the answers they get, and and they they you have different variation of, of, and it's really incredible because it's very hard to uh, um, to guess that you are talking to a, to an AI. Huh? But you have to let people know, though, right? I mean, I think that's kind of important. Well, I was discussing with the I visit I visited Conversica some time ago, and they were explaining me that that um, some of their customers they actually receive flowers for the salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious! The the bot. Uh, the bot. The bot. The, the the role of the bot in that case is to make the first contact with the customer and try to get the real salesperson an appointment. So it exchanges email and it tries to find a slot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, and some of the customers was had such a good experience in discussing with that person that they sent flower for her. Oh my gosh! I love it. That's amazing. Okay, so. Um, I think, and we've talked about this on the on this show a few times uh, about how helping planners understand technology um, can be kind of a hurdle. Um, so, do you have either of you or both? Um, have you have any real examples of how you have made their job easier, or do you have a method for getting this across? Like, do you use storytelling and case studies and that kind of thing to to really share with potential customers what the um, how it'll make their their show better? Can I, I can start? Yeah, if you want. please do. Um, yeah, it's 
I spend a lot of my time talking about technology. Uh, I spent, I think, more of my time talking about it than actually doing it, um, because you, it, it, you have to take everyone along, and it won't work if you have somebody in the marketing team or somebody in the sales team who is not not with you on the project. And if you say we're going to start this and this and this in technology, not just AI, but every technology, um, and and it takes a lot of energy sometimes. But um, most people are really keen to to try new things. Um, and I've never, at least in our company, I've never felt any resistance to technology and say, ah, I don't really like that. I don't think people will like to talk to a chatbot. I don't think they will like to whatever. Um, it's it's not difficult, but but you have to give a good story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I find that a little bit surprising, but it's amazing. You guys are doing, obviously doing a wonderful job. I used to sell audiovisual technology um, and I know planners have a real resistance um, to, they know it's important. They know that it's like, like the second uh, highest ticket item on their budget um, next to like food and beverage. Um, but they are, can, can kind of be re re resistant to making change. So if you're newer in the industry or if you don't know you, if you're not Freeman or PSAV, um, you know, it can be hard to get people to make a change. Um, and so, but I mean, within this app world that we're living in, it's still very young, right? Like, you know, I think we're, we've passed the point where, where people wonder whether they need an app for their event or not. Um, I've just barely passed that point. Maybe, you, Stefan, you don't think we are? <laughs> well, we, we've stopped uh, making up on a systematic basis for events in 2016. So I would say that about maybe five to 10% of our events actually have an app. Oh, really? Huh, interesting. We have about 200 events a year and maybe, yeah, 10 to 15 have an app. Um, but some organizers like uh, are moving quite fast to get an app everywhere uh, for us. So for, for example, there was, uh, I don't know if I can talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you, you can say beep instead of the name. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll look because I know it's in, the, I, I know maybe I saw it in the blog. Well, but, the yeah, we, we had apps everywhere. And, and if you talk about apps, we probably will get back there at some point. And I, I do travel from time to time to Asia, and I'm going back to China in a month. Um, and it, that you have a much better uptake of apps over there. But it's because everybody uses the same apps. And okay. if you try to get one app, we try to get one app for a show or even one app for all of our events. We have 200 shows a year. And, and the uptake is too low. Uh, but if you go and then you, you piggyback on an app like WeChat in China, for example, it's, it is much, much easier. Than, than trying to force your own app on people's phone. Because all the organizers I talk to, organizers I talk to, if they do that, nobody except really, really exceptions. It's, it, nobody gets better than 10 to 20 percent adoption in the apps. Yeah, so for us, actually, this is a really strong point because uh, I believe that we can we get more adoption simply because we actually have a, well, obviously all our apps integrate with each other. So if you use Swapcard, even if it's not branded as Swapcard, uh, even if it's a white label, uh, if you use Swapcard at an event and then you use another app, different app for another event, but it's also a Swapcard app as another white label, then we're going to obviously keep all your data 
up to date between the events. We're gonna uh, send uh, like gonna use recommendation that's based on what you did the previous event as well. And this is a really a strong selling point for us. And uh, I believe that, for example, at uh, Jitex, which we did uh, last year, end of last year, uh, we had I think like above forty percent use rate in a huge hundred thousand, hundred one hundred thousand. I think this is a really strong point for us, and uh, I'm, I'm, I think that we could have apps for like all around events if uh, if the the app is well made and it's easy to use and it has yeah good uh, marketing behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on well, the other side, we also sorry you also see um, uh, other players in the market come with their own apps. For example, LinkedIn as really of LinkedIn events, yeah. uh, and and it could be that. I hope it's not the case, but it could be that they take over the market and people say, oh, I have LinkedIn on my phone. I don't want to install another app. I will do everything on LinkedIn events. That, like, like it happens with WeChat in China, for example. Yeah, I don't, LinkedIn, see, here's the thing. Like, I don't, they're not there. Like, I was super excited that LinkedIn was bringing events back into the app. They're not, they're, they're not there as far as I'm concerned. I'm working in social media and working in events, um, they're, they're, they've got a ways to go, but I, but your point is, is fair. Um, and do you think there's a difference between if it's a B2B or a B2C kind yes. of a show? Cause obviously if it's a B2C, I, as a consumer going to a show, I'd be less likely to download something, but on the B2B side, when you're helping, especially not just the matchmaking, but the lead generation, that piece, um, because I know as an exhibitor, I hate having to download a second app for lead capture, like for having everything kind of be all in one, I think is super valuable for both sides because I mean, people don't want to be sold to, but they're there because they want to buy something, right? Or there's something that they need for their business or for their life. Um, And so the easier we make it um, for them the better. Um, so I think, Stefan, your your point is fair that I, maybe we they, we had like, oh, apps, apps, apps for everything. And now, and then there's been some pullback, but I do think that this personalization and and the, the use of AI like Swapcard is doing is um, definitely, I think, going um, gonna to help, at least on the B2B side. To yeah, and I, and I, but I agree on. with you that we, we, we have also apps are too specialized and then you have too many apps. So I was saying that Sometimes you even have one app per event, and then even in the same event, if you're an exhibitor, you would have the event app, and then you have a lead, a lead generation app. Then sometimes you have a matchmaking app, which is beside. We, mm-hmm. we have to have bring everything together because the time where people would install 500 apps on their phone, it, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Right. Yeah, and there's another thing, like, but I think we're like, what I mean is a big actor for this change could be or should be the event, the large event organizers themselves, because when they pick, yeah, when they pick one of the apps to, or one of their events, and then they pick a different app or another one, and they have an app <coughs> made for a third one. This is, yeah. I think this is not a good practice for a large event organizer. If you pick a provider and then use one app, even if it's branded differently throughout all your events, well, you earn a lot of, um, well, first off, it's much easier because you only have one actor to deal with. And then the second thing is all the data, all the, like for us, all the AI data, but uh, even in other ways, all the data is kept in one place. It's not. It's much easier to track what everyone is doing at different events, who is going where, etc., because it's not scattered over hundreds of databases. Yeah, I, th- I think that large event organizers and 
event organizers in general should probably be picking one app provider and then sticking with them mm. for a while or for a bunch of events. On the consumer side or on the whatever, on the attendee side, I should say, because whether it's business or not, Vincent, does that mean then that I, I don't have to re-download if I go to the same show the second year, I don't have to re-download that a new, the new app, will it populate with the new information? Yeah, I, I, awesome. I believe so. And awesome. also, if you go to a bunch of events from that organizer, obviously all your data will still be there from event to event. That's fabulous. Yeah, because I'm used to going to meeting an event industry, you know, conferences and expos and having to download a new app every year. And it, it can it can be a bit much. So I think that there's something there. Okay. All right. Well, we're getting close to time. And so I do want to ask both of you the question I like to always end with. What's the hot new tech app gadget program? It actually doesn't have to be new. Um, that you're excited about these days? What's, is there anything that's making your job easier or making your life easier or, or more fun? <laughs> Stefan, you're smiling. Well, we were speaking about AI. I definitely, for me, that's the most exciting technology for the next five years. Um, I, I recently wrote an article uh, on LinkedIn and I asked six or seven other digital people in the trade show industry what they thought would be the big thing in, in this year. And everybody thinks it's AI. I totally agree. In terms of my personal life, I can't wait to get uh, a real, really working AI assistant in my work. You know, something that could just, okay, I need to make a meeting with that person, just find a date for me and just book the plane and that's just arrange everything. That That would be the coolest thing for me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. What do you think, Vincent? Uh, <laughs> I don't really have an answer with that question. Uh, I mean, in the event industry, I mean, I don't go to that it, many events, right? It doesn't I, have uh, to be event related. Yeah, it could yeah, be okay. anything. It could be, be Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, Netflix is not that exciting anymore, is it? Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just got into a whole bunch of new shows. So uh, personally, um, it's it's like, it's my kryptonite. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for me, I think a few exciting things for uh, personal life. I think, uh, I mean, I play a lot of games, so there would be uh, lots of um, exciting new board games, actually, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, such as uh, playing, uh, I'm going to play some, yeah, Blaze in the Dark, it's called, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, other than that, uh, technology-wise, I'm... I'm quite excited about AI and ecology. I think this is a great fit to save a lot of uh, power and uh, heat and like all the, uh, yeah, a lot of power energy is uh, really not an expendable resource. So yeah, AI and ecology will be, uh, I think, a great fit for uh, the next 10 years. I love it. Fantastic. Okay. So last thing is how can our, our listeners and viewers find you, Stefan? What's the best place to... Oh, you can you can easily find me on LinkedIn, for example. Okay. Search for Stefan Forsey and uh, or Easy Fairs, and you will find me. Okay, perfect. And Vincent. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn as well, uh, Vincent Carter, or you can contact Swapcard. Uh, I think it should be pretty easy to get me on the phone. <laughs> perfect. And you're are you in Paris? I'm in not working in Paris currently. Okay. I work in uh, Brittany. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you both. Um, it's early day for me and later day for you, of course, um, across the across the pond. So thank you so much, both of you, for, for being with us here on episode seven. I uh, thank everyone for listening and watching. And 
This has been episode seven of Inside Events by Swap Card, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag Inside Events and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.